Uh, welcome to the Adaptex podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building accessible and inclusive businesses, advocating for inclusion, or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather give them a platform to amplify their voice and ideas and help you make your business more inclusive and accessible. Today, I'm joined by Bob Mitchell of Inspirations Fitness. Bob, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you very much. All right, well, maybe start back at the beginning of your uh, fitness journey or uh, your experience as a personal trainer. Can you uh, kind of give me some insight into how you got into that? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll, I'll kind of give you a nutshell version because the whole story's got it's a it's worth a book, I guess. Um, um, I've always been been in fitness. I've been you know either an active athlete myself or training other people uh, for as long as I can remember. I worked with um, in substance use disorders for a while, working with people with alcoholism and addiction and, um, uh, issues, and we were you know, using fitness in that medium kind of also to kind of help them through that. Um, and at the time I was recovering from alcoholism myself. So it was a good fit for me to be, you know, using fitness because I had that background. Um, so later on in life, you know, in 2021, I became, I became with the, the, uh, uh, the choice to become an amputee. And, you know, at, at that point I had been through about five years or so of other surgeries and pain and everything, and everything goes along with it. And it became an elective amputation. So I just, you know, I wanted to, I want to get the leg off me. So I got, I, I did it, you know, and I made the election to have the, have the amputation. Um, so the kind of, that was the catalyst, right? That the beginning of that was what I didn't know at the time was the beginning of inspirations fitness. Um, the reason why it all kind of came together was having a background in recovering a background in fitness. I knew I was expecting uh, post amputation. I knew what to look like, like what the next year would look like and how rehab would go. And I had that insight, you know, for myself. And I just felt like, there was a gap between rehab and life. There just, there wasn't, there was a step there that, that someone needed to step in and, and provide a little guidance, you know, because, um, just with fitness and stuff, because a lot of the fitness things we do are all everyday related, you know, it's, it's helping you out with your everyday activities. So that was, that was the catalyst for, you know, starting inspiration is fitness. And since then I've been training other people. Um, I've been, I got credentialed myself as a trainer, and I just kind of I'm trying to trying to push the adaptation to a fitness, you know, not just equipment, but just, you know, the way we think about fitness. It's not, you know, as amputees, we, we're we're flooded with images of those those elite style athletes, you know, the, the, the number ones in CrossFit and the, and the judo box kick, kickboxers and stuff. But that's not what we're all about all the time. You know, it's just it's fitness is, is so we're more efficient in our life every day. We don't have to all be an Olympian, you know. Yeah, that was one of the things that I have in my show notes here was that I wanted to talk about that topic of like the perception of amputee is a wounded vet or an elite CrossFit athlete. But I think like 90%, maybe even more of amputees are people that got there through infections or illness or diabetes. And I think that's not kind of the narrative that's perpetuated in the mainstream quite as much and those people deserve to access fitness just as much as those that have elite aspirations it doesn't make their goals any less important or novel um so i think Mm -hmm. creating environments where those people can kind of seamlessly coexist among their peers and have the proper support is essential um you mentioned starting inspirations fitness a couple years ago are you working exclusively with amputees or do you kind of run the gamut on various populations 
So I, I, I do accept both uh, amputee and, and, and you know, paralysis and able body. I mean, I can train. I'm, I'm credentialed across the board, so I can, I can train anyone, literally. Um, I prefer to work with uh, lower leg amputees mostly, you know, because I'm, I'm an above knee amputee myself. So those are the ones I really, really relate to. Um, but I've worked with people who are above elbow. I've worked with people in, in paralysis. Uh, I have a couple of clients who are able-bodied but have TBIs, you know, so we're still still working with accessibility things with them. So, yeah, I, I really tend to cater more to people who just it's who just don't feel comfortable in the gym on their own, you know? Yeah. yeah, it might be too hard to consolidate into, like, one or two recommendations, but what have you found to be successful strategies when working with lower limb amputees? Like, how does exercise selection change or kind of what – what specific like strength and conditioning principles do you think are most prevalent? So I'll, I'll give you the, <laughs> this is going to sound like a really political answer, but consistency is the best thing ever, ever for every, anybody. Right. So I mean, it's, it, you know, just being there every day and working a little bit on, on something every day. But I found, I know you're looking for the exercise and for your, for your listeners, anything balance related, really anything you're working with balance because balance is, is the step one for everything we do is lower leg amputees, you know, it, and, you know, or not just lower leg, but just leg amputees, you know, we're working on our, our core balance and we're working on our thrust and our give with our, with our hips, you know, so it's anything balance related. Yeah. Yeah. So if you maybe put yourself in the shoes of a client and you were coming into my gym for the first time, uh, as a lower leg amputee, what would you want me as the trainer to ask you or kind of what would you want that first session to look like? I want to, I, I want to talk about, you know, and this is a lot of, a lot of, a lot of amputees and I, you know, friends of mine I've, I've talked to over the years, it's been, you know, our goals aren't always to do American Ninja Warrior or to be triathlete again or, or you know, and, and I used to, I was a triathlete prior to my injuries and I don't, I don't have a reservation to get back to triathlon. That wasn't, that wasn't, but it was assumed that I did, you know. Um, a great first question is what's your six month pro- progress look like? You know, what's, what's one year look like to you? So keep those, you know, we've all heard of the smart goals, you know, we're going to have keep his expectations where we should and have, you know, things that are attainable and, and measurable, you know, like just start off, start, let's start, let's start with the, start with the thought, with the start, you know, it's, how do you walk? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And you, you talked about kind of providing an option that bridges the gap between rehab and return to fitness. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of people assume that, whenever you're working with disability, it's kind of reserved for a physical therapy setting. Uh, but we found that a lot of our clients, um, I wouldn't say prefer because I don't want to diminish the importance of the rehab setting, but some of them like being in a, a general normal environment um, among their non-disabled peers and just trying to get back into a routine of thing that allows them to accomplish what they want to do. So I think providing mm-hmm. providing access uh, to just general fitness with the necessary supports is essential. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, some other sports before we before we hopped on to this. Is are there recreational activities that you uh, that you're gravitating towards? Oh, it's, it always depends on what season I'm in in my life. Really, you know, I, uh, right out of you know, prior to my amputation, I was a triathlete, uh, and none, mind you, nothing, nothing I do is good. I'm not a very good athlete at anything I do, but I do it just, just for fitness reasons. Um, I was a triathlete prior to my amputation. After that, I, I got I gravitated towards powerlifting for a while. Um, I was doing pretty well in that, and then now I've gotten back into rock climbing again. So 
I'm just I'm I'm one of those guys who when I see something new, new and shiny, I want to do. I'll dive headfirst into it. So yeah, I've gone good. from I've gone from rock climbing, just learning how myself to be you know be an adaptive climber, and now I'm teaching and doing instructions and courses and stuff here in, in town. I'm in Nashville. Cool, cool. What are the primary barriers um, or challenges that you kind of face as an amputee when doing something like rock climbing? Uh, you know, it's I've got. I don't really pay, face the barriers anymore because I've gotten past that barrier, and that's that's one of the, the one of the most important things that I was kind of hoping we talk about today was it's the, the the invitation, the accessibility. You know, it's like for especially rock climbing. You know, and you if you have a, a leg amputation or even a, a an upper limb amputation, you know, you don't have to wait for someone to invite you to come to the rock climbing gym or wait for an adaptive type day or a clinic or someone special to make a special concessions. I know a lot of rock climbing gyms do this and so do other, other, uh, outfits, you know, or gyms and, uh, uh, fitness classes and whatnot. You, you don't, there's no, there's no rule that says you can't be there when, when it's a non-adaptive day, you know, where that's part of what adaptive fitness is. It's, it's just learning how to, how to improvise, overcome and adapt to things, you know? Have you ever met any resistance from environments that either didn't feel comfortable accommodating you as an amputee or, uh, wasn't willing to kind of take on that, that challenge. Yeah, no, not, not per se, you know, in, in gyms, you know, sometimes gyms will have stairs, you know, you have to get up and down some stairs, but as far as sports go, is it any kind of sport I've ever tried to um, get back into um, like the rock climbing, um, the powerlifting? I've never been shunned or looked at and looked oddly. I've been nothing but, but great accolades. People were, you know, always very, you know, they, as, hence the name Inspiration is Fitness. People are always saying it's such an inspiration to see us do these things. But, you know, it's to me, it's just it's just lifting weights, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think, like, you say that you don't have to wait for a specific day or to be invited. But I think there's got to be something that's holding back people from reengaging in activities like this after an injury. Uh, maybe yeah. it's just a concern that they won't be met with that same level of support or that they won't. I think like when you look at the research on barriers and facilitators to physical activity, you see that uh, like environments not being accessible is obviously one, but also that like the professionals aren't going to have the requisite skills to support them and keep them safe and kind of guard their uh, guard mm -hmm. their disability in that regard. So um, that's where I think just like kind of creating more environments that have staff that are better educated is is essential. Um, right. But I, it's it's a tough, it's sometimes a tough sell. So when I'm mm -hmm. trying to convince a gym that their staff should be more knowledgeable on how to accommodate various disabilities, there's always like a, well, what is this going to do for us type of thing? Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, in my experience running a gym that trains a lot of people with disabilities, it's been a essential piece of our model. And um, we, some of our longest term clients are the ones with disabilities. And um, so I think it's, it can be a part of a, a profitable business model. Um, mm. And that's where I think it's, it's uh, essential to kind of communicate that message. But I'd be interested to kind of uh, talk about like maybe what you did prior um, kind of growing up through university, um, you mentioned mm -hmm. being in, uh, substance, uh, use, uh, counseling and kind of, was that always the career you were in or did you start somewhere before that? That actually, uh, the substance use counseling was, it, it, I was a peer substance use counselor. Um, I, I wasn't, didn't have a master's degree in anything. I was just peer, peer relations. Um, and that whole job 
uh, kind of evolved out of my own recovery. You know, I was I was an active active alcoholic for a lot of years. In 2014, I got sober. You know, um, so I started working in a, in a, as a volunteer at a 501c3 nonprofit, who then trained me up at, at the state level. And I just I, I fell in love with being able to help other people at, at, the, at that point. You know, but uh, prior to that, I was you know I was kind of a blue collar guy. I was, you know, I was, I was a Marine for a number of years and I did a lot of welding. And so, I, but I couldn't, you know, once I got injured, I couldn't really carry, carry steel anymore. So I had to find some kind of an office job. Yeah. Did, uh, were you active duty Marine? I was from 1994, yeah. 1998. Yeah. Okay. And did that, was this transition out of the service? One of, was that a challenge kind of that transition? No, not really. I was, you know, it was, it was all part of the plan. It was, you know, just get in, get out for a couple of years, get my, I was, I was at that generation. I was getting my GI bill. I was getting my, my college education money. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I was, I was pre nine eleven. So in nine eleven, it changed everything for everyone. Yeah. Right. You mentioned in some of your uh, social media content that the amputation uh, improved your life greatly. And I think that's kind of a sentiment that we hear from some of our guests. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe like in what ways has your life been better after your amputation? Oh, yeah, it's been great. Um, I mean, that's I say that with a little bit of tongue in cheek, you know, being amputee is never really fun. Right. But I definitely don't have the physical pain that I used to have when I when I was going through infections and bone bone grafts and stuff. Um, that's all kind of the obvious, and that was that was that all got worked out in the end, and, and it's been great for me. But what was better for what became better for me was this this becoming an advocate and working with other people like me and and creating self confidence and creating better lives. That I was I was that was a gift that I was given out of this. You know, that's kind of that's been a better transformation for me. I've, you know, I've become happier with myself and the work that I'm doing rather than just kind of floating through life, you know? Yeah. Are there any organizations that you found like a lot of value in? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the challenge athletes foundation is great. Obviously. Um, I, if you don't know, or if, if you ever get a chance to look her up and check out her foundation, it's called Kirsty Ennis foundation. Um, Kirsty was a U.S. Marine who lost her leg in a helicopter accident uh, amazing woman. She brings brings the amputees and veterans out to Colorado for rock climbing and snowboarding uh, clinics. Nice. And she does great work with because everything's free for the amputee. I went out for one clinic a couple of years ago, yeah. but she's it's a great clinic. Are there specific like support groups or communities that you um, find value in being involved with? Or oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I got it early on from a, another amputee mentor of mine, um, was amputee coalition. I just, I'd actually just got back from their conference in Orlando about a month ago. Uh, and it's just, it's a great network of people. They have, you know, such a great strong online presence, uh, which always transfers over to, over to Instagram friendships, you know, um, there's bulletin boards in there and resources. It's just, it's a great resource for any amputee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe a quick um, digression into like kind of etiquette. Uh, this is a question that we asked some of our guests. Like, sure. uh, how do you feel about the word disabled? Um, does that have a positive or negative connotation to you? I think it was just a part of the American lexicon. Just, to me, it's not. It's not a slam or a or a, any kind of designation of, of the person that I am. It's just a. It's a parking space to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think like there's a push sometimes for more 
like politically correct terms like differently abled but a lot of the times that's kind of perpetuated by people who don't have disabilities and then when i talk to someone who does they're like oh no i don't i don't really like that terminology i don't mind disabled at all so it's it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition like the more people with disabilities that i talk to the more like the term disabled doesn't seem quite as uh disrespectful as as you might be led to believe yeah, and I've I've sat through sessions and and, and roundtables about about like you know about the, the correct terminology of whatnot nowadays, and I've just you know I I can't help the fact the fact that I have a sense of humor and you know I have kind of a dark sense of humor, so I don't mind anything. And I you know you can call me what you want, just don't don't call me late for the late for dinner. <laughs> um, is there like have there been situations where people? Uh, maybe it's with like kids or uh, that have like stared at your prosthetic or um, like if there was a younger kid looking at it and like a situation where a mom's like, oh, no, like don't stare at don't stare at him mm-hmm. or whatever. Like that's sometimes that I see when I'm with someone in like a wheelchair or I take care of a boy with Down syndrome and autism who um, who visibly looks a little different than his peers. So we get a lot of looks. Um mm-hmm. Does that stuff bother you, or like, how would you want someone to approach that as a parent, maybe? Um, it's actually funny because I I love little kids. I teach them at the rock climbing gym, and I just I think they're some of the most true people in the world. Um, it's and I've never never felt any kind of way about anything with it when a kid approaches me or anybody else. Really, it's usually my wife that's telling me to quit quit telling them so much. <laughs> She tells me, you know, that I offer to take my leg off and show it to kids. And she, my wife's always patting me on the back, telling me we have to keep going, keep moving along. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, it might just be another one of those things where most people with disabilities are comfortable with that. Um, yeah. It's, and just, it's, and the honesty of kids is never, you know, you can never say no to that. So I mean, any kid that has a question is fine with me ever. It's a good learning experience and just kind of part of the process, I guess, of normalizing disability. Like if you can have an interaction with someone and you make it seem like your prosthetic is just another part of you, then that kid might carry forward that thought process that like if someone looks different than me, that's just a part of them. So maybe it kind of is going to like bring forth this lasting narrative that will kind of help change people's perception of disability. So I think that's important. One of the questions that we, one of the questions that we ask all the guests is like, what do you think has to be done to make uh, maybe the fitness industry specifically uh, more inclusive and accessible? That's a really broad question. And there's a lot of different changes I'd like to see, but you know, for, for, for one, I'd like to, you know, for it to be not such a weird thing, you know, like it, it, we don't need to have gyms just for us. We don't need to have, you know, not a lot of special concessions we need in a gym for as far as equipment and whatnot go. Um, I, I just, it's really just accessibility. You know, it's, it's, it's our space as well as your space. You know, I say yours, the able-bodied community, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it, I don't, you know, me, it, I'd like to see more people who look like me in the gym around, you know, I don't know how we, how the fitness industry as a whole could do that as far as otherwise giving away memberships, but, you know, but just, you know, making it, making it an accessible place. But the other, other part would be before we get to the gym memberships in the fitness industry, 
let's talk about you know the mental health of the people who are just recently amputated and then giving them the confidence of being able to go out there and do these things you know because sometimes those first two years it's a period of people just being down you know they don't get a chance to really feel that kind of self-confidence that yeah i can go to planet fitness and do this workout i can do this to go play pickleball with my friends or whatever and if i follow my face so did so did bob i saw a video of him doing it you know yeah were there any resources that were provided to you after your amputation that kind of were essential to that thought process yeah no i i had i had a team i had a really good personal team like i had my friends who were professionals um but nothing was really prescribed to me no um what i you know what i what i did is i I took a little bit from my substance use world and i took a little bit from my athlete world and kind of melded them together to kind of have that confidence to, to fight through those first two years yeah yeah you mentioned in response to that previous question that um, like you don't need gyms that are specific for people with disabilities. And that's something that I believe pretty strongly about is like programs that only support people with disabilities are well-intentioned and very important, but that's almost like not inclusion when you only put people with disabilities in one environment instead of integrating them into the mainstream. So I think it's like, um, at least to me, and this is probably my biases because part of the work that we do is trying to educate more fitness professionals. But like, I think part of the issue is just like knowledge for a lot of new grads and new fitness professionals. And uh, Mm -hmm. like I mentioned before, maybe they assume that adaptive fitness is reserved for rehab settings. Um, and they think it's beyond their scope to support someone who's an amputee. But like, if you came to me, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm just a strength and conditioning coach. Like you would probably almost be able to guide me just through open communication of like what you can and can't do. And then together, together we can kind of problem solve. So, um, at least in my experience, that's one of the most important first steps to working with a new client with a disability is just an open line of communication to figure out what they can and they can't do. Right. And that's, yeah, that's, that's standard for the course. You know, it's it's any, any therapist or any conditioning coach is going to want to know a full, full medical, medical background, you know? So, and you're right. You know, we were saying earlier, asking about what the, what the industry could do, you know, we, we try as an industry to push our people to get credentialed. You know, there's no law or requirement for anyone to be personal training qualified to actually be a personal trainer. Um, but there, there are some reputable companies out there who do training, that kind of thing. But to include a chapter or two about, you know, maybe adaptive considerations, at least, you know, that, you know, just to just what our skin considerations might be, what it looks like for our heart rate elevates the kind of thing. Yeah. Just so they're a little more aware to kind of open that, like you said, talk about open the stigma up get it out there are there any co-occurring uh maybe not necessarily disabilities but like symptoms that are associated with your amputation that you find that when you're working out uh are exacerbated in any way no i don't feel like not not my physiology i feel you know, I might, it always helps my mood right i mean yeah. i've yeah i've been yeah i i, I went through a little spot of depression so, but my mood, you know, you get the endorphin release. It always helps you be a happier person. So, yeah, yeah. But anything like I, phantom limb pain or any of those? No, I, you know, just from my workouts and the, and the way I, I, I don't really have anything that results from them other than you know, just I feel great. And, yeah. 
Is, is there anything that's like off limits from a training perspective that's like not good for you? Yeah, for me specifically is jumping. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of impact. I try to stay away from impact movement just because, um, you know, I, I'll put it out there in the world. I'm 47 years old and I've only got one, one, la- one last leg. So I don't want to ruin that last knee. So I don't, I'm trying to keep that one last knee in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's kind of your preferred like cardio modality? Oh, I'm a swim swimmer. That's, that's, swimmer. I love being in the water. Yeah, I've, I just that's, I can put the whole world tune it out for an hour or so, and just swim laps all day long. Yeah, that might be a little bit of that triathlon background, but no interest in Probably getting back, <laughs> no interest yeah. in getting back onto the bike or anything. Um, my wife has expressly told me if I ever try running again, she'll kill me. There you go. Yeah, that seems like that's enough to squash that yeah. uh, before yeah. it even begins. So, um, was there anything specific uh, that you thought would be relevant to cover or that you want to kind of mention with the goal of this podcast being to kind of share lived experiences of people with disabilities as well as the professionals who are supporting them um any like key points or things that you like messages that you want to communicate i just i'd like to for your listeners just keep on researching you know it doesn't it doesn't seem like the exercises and the the tutorials and how to's and all those things are really out there for us but when you find them, there's, you know, there's a good substantial amount of information out there, at least to, to get you walking well and feeling better. And, you know, but as we, as the demand for it grows, we'll keep on delivering it, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll share, uh, share in the show notes, any links uh, that you want to include to your website or to your page. Uh, we'll link your Instagram page uh, as well, but uh, appreciate the conversation today and kind of the, the information and wisdom that you shared um, and if there's anything that you, um, recall later on that you want us to include, we'll, we'll throw it in the show notes, but, uh, Bob, we appreciate you joining us today. All right, Brennan. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was good. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about Adaptex, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptex.org. Until next Monday.